Well, good morning, Community Church. Good morning, everybody watching online. Let's prepare our hearts as we come into the house of the Lord to honor Him, to worship Him, to give Him all of our praise. So let's just take these next 10 seconds and find a way to disengage ourselves from all the things that have taken place this week and to realign ourselves with the Father right now. So just start to do that right now where you're sitting. Actually, why don't we all stand to our feet? Let's just lift our hands to our God. Father God, we choose right at this moment to disengage from the things of this world, to disengage from our issues, our problems, and we choose to align our heart with you, Father. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our praise. So we choose today, this very moment, to give all of our attention to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords, to the mighty God, to the faithful one, to the healer, to the restorer. We choose to honor you. So let's give all of our worship to the mighty one who loves us so deeply. We honor you this morning. I'm feeling the importance of this this moment. But here's here's what happens is there's Olympic Games going on right now and we know people are looking and this is the pinnacle of people's lives. And some have had the objective of winning a gold medal or a medal in the Olympics or competing in the Olympics for all their lives, 20 years, 15 years. Some competed in four years ago in those Olympics, but they knew they didn't have a chance of winning, but they were, they, it was part, it was a step going to something. And they, they focused and they gave themselves to practices and they woke up early in the morning and they swam. And each time they swam, they understood this. I need to swim with all my heart. I need to give everything I have to this moment. Not that in this moment I'm going to get a gold medal, but this moment will determine whether I can even enter into the fray, enter into that competitive level. I am seeking something that's worth all my life. And here we are. We are seeking God. And you may be thinking, well, it's hard to give my all to this moment because I'm not sure I'm going to get the gold medal of God's presence right in this moment. But I guarantee you this, if you do not make a lifestyle of laying down every moment, of giving everything, every time you have an opportunity, there is no chance you will ever into that dimension where a gold medal, God's glory, will come down from heaven and touch you. Because he said, if you seek me with all your heart, then you will find me. And what we're learning to do is to give everything in this moment. But we don't even know how to do that. So I want to exhort you, give everything you possibly can in this moment. Because even if you don't get the silver medal, even if you don't get that breakthrough that you want... This will lead to inevitable change in your life. God is looking for people who will pursue Him, who will love Him with all their soul, all their strength, all their heart. 
all of their might. Oh God, we say today you are worthy to be sought. You are worthy to be pursued. God, give us grace as we run after you. We want to run hard. We want to run hard after you today. Come on, let's desire him with everything inside of us. Come on, keep singing. Keep singing. There's somebody watching online right now, and you have never been in this building, but you have dialed in here a few times. Yes, I'm talking to you. You're wondering right now if this is about you. The Spirit of God wants to touch you where you are. The Spirit of God wants to fill the room. Let the presence of God touch you where you are right now. Because you have wondered, is God real? Is this really alive? The living God who created the worlds is inviting you into a relationship with Him. He is inviting you to seek Him. And right now, He is giving you a token of His presence. Seek Him. Receive from Him. Lean into Him. He desperately has your life in His hand and He wants to bring you into destiny and purpose that you never knew you had. Father, bless the ones that are watching and seeking online right now in Jesus' name. Oh God, you are worthy of it all. Come on, friends. He is worthy. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Our willingness to do that is key to our journey. Along the way, God will meet us. Along the way, we'll experience breakthroughs. We'll experience oasis moments. But we are on a divine journey across a dry wasteland, a dry wasteland into the promises of God, into something that's unfathomable, incomprehensibly beautiful. This is the destiny that you would experience the goodness of God on a scale that your mind cannot comprehend. This is the promise. And if you believe that that promised line, that that promised land can be found, you won't stop. No little oasis will be enough. No threatening desert will be able to stop you. Hunger and thirst and passion. But this, a confidence knowing that, no, God is not a liar. He said, if I seek him, I will find him. 
He said, if I seek him, I will find him. I believe there's people in the room and online that are watching. And you've been in this journey for some time. And it feels like a lot of the promises, a lot of the initial blessing has faded from your life. And you're wondering, is that it? Is this where we are? Is there no more than this? And God is trying to say to you, no, press further. Press beyond. Stretch yourself. Extend your, your, your faith a little further. I'm just beyond your reach right now. But if you lean in, you will find me. Can you say amen? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Come on. The church is the gate of heaven. The church is the place where angels ascend and descend. And we declare the region of Parkland County, Spruce Grove, we summon the angels of God. We summon those sent who are waiting for passage into this region. We say we open the gate. You know, we're, we're on this path where God... You know, Paul says it this way. He said, he's made us able ministers of the new covenant. That means you are called to administrate the release of heaven on earth. That's what it means to be an ambassador of another kingdom. That through you, the culture, the desire, and the values of another kingdom are exhibited and brought down to the earth and made tangible... By your faith, not just your obedience, but your faith materializes and makes plain, simple, obvious, and favorable and preferred that other value system. And what God means to do is make you more effective in doing that. So that people begin to envy your life. That people begin to envy your zeal. They begin to envy your strength. They begin to envy your freedom. They begin to envy the creativity that flows through your life. This is what it means to be an ambassador of another country. People start to say, I'd like to visit that country because of you. <laughs> so the question is, how much... How much of the culture of heaven is exhibited through your life? Is it attractive enough that people say, where are you from? What are you about? What is this uncanny strength you have? (laughs) Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus. God, that you would lift us up out of those things that cause us to stumble and struggle from week to week and month to month. Father, I declare that the people in this room and the people hearing the sound of my voice and watching online are called to better and higher things and surround them right now. Father, we are on this journey. I declare today that tomorrow will be better than yesterday. That the next week and the month after will be better than any other era of our lives. I say the best days are ahead of you. 
I say that your most productive periods are coming in your future. Higher and higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. You are called to go from glory to glory. From glory to glory. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to get Cam just to release. I think it's a prophetic encouragement to the body. But as we were praying there at the end, I just saw this glimpse of a tug of war. And I actually could feel it right there in the spot that this is what we're doing in these moments sometimes. And we don't necessarily see it, but we're in the middle of a tug of war. Every day, that spiritual battle that's taking place. And sometimes we feel we're getting pulled so far over to this side. But the Lord is saying, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Hold on to that rope because he is the anchor. He is the anchor. So let us not give up. Cam, share your word. I was seeing people in the wilderness wandering around half starved and I thought of Jesus being led into the wilderness and and a sense of some people watching online but people in the room as well where you you feel like you've been in the wilderness you feel like God seems to be a little farther off than normal there's a couple of things the wilderness is a really terrible place to be half committed to anything because if you're looking for water you're not just sort of looking for water you are desperately looking for water If you're looking for food, if you're looking for shelter in the wilderness, you're all in. The wilderness is a place for creating all in. But there's this accusation that floats in the wilderness about, the Spirit led me here. He must not love me. This is so hard. Your Father loves you so deeply. He led you into a place where His hand is still with you. He's doing something in the wilderness. And just like the last verse about Jesus being in the wilderness, He emerged from the wilderness with spirit and power. So if you're in the wilderness right now and you feel like you're wandering and you feel like you're half-starved and your throat is parched and you're wondering, where's God? You're right where He is ready to work on you. So don't grow weary now. Don't grow faint now. Don't lay down now. Don't give up now. You're right in the middle of His will. And resources are on the way. Just like Elijah was fed by ravens. Just like water came out of a rock. You're this close. Hang in there. Don't stop praising. Don't let your gaze drop. Lift your eyes up to the mountains from where comes your help. Because He's good. And you're going to emerge from the wilderness in spirit and power. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' name for everyone that's in the wilderness wandering right now, everyone who's contemplating giving up, everyone who said, that's it, I'm spent, I'm done, it must be over, God's word isn't working. They're ready to cash it all in. God, I'm asking right now for resources to pour out to those ones, streams in the desert, 
Streams in the desert. Streams in the desert. A path in the wilderness. God, I'm asking that you would renew their strength. Help them to lean in one more time on the Spirit of God and on the Word. God, I'm asking that you would complete the refining work. God, impart hope and faith where there was none. Do a sovereign thing in the heart, God, that changes a mortal man into a son of God. I'm asking in Jesus' name. Oh God, that the weary and the faint would not lay down and die, but that they would find one more reserve, one more step, one more breath, one more prayer, one more opportunity to raise their hands and say that the Lord is good. They'll cry out one more time. They'll bring a sacrifice of praise in the hard place in Jesus' name. Father, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Can you say amen? amen. Huh. Well, I'm going to share a word today. We'll see how it comes together. You know, it says that the Athenians were, were kind of people, they gather around, they love hearing new things, uh, new, new things. And, you know, you might be here and you might think, I'd like to hear something new. Well, not today. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hear something fresh, but not something new. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I pray, God, that you would anoint your word, anoint the truth that you're trying to bring us into in Jesus' name. You know, sidebar, sidebar, I was getting ready today, and I saw this thing, and I've, I've you know, there, there are certain truths that waft around your eyes, around your head, it's kind of like flies, you know, and you... They don't really land, but they're there. They're in the periphery. And sometimes you notice that this is what the way revelation is like. God is trying to whisper things to you. And sometimes it takes months for them to finally land. You know, and uh, I've heard this thing again and again, and I kept meaning to write something down. But as I meditated on it this morning, it sort of hit me. And I'll see if I can remember. Actually, I, I did write it down. So maybe let me just throw this out there because... I'm not speaking on this this morning, but I want to throw this out because um, I, I think it's key to what we're trying to do as people of faith. This is what it says. Placing our hope in conservation when infinite supply is at your fingertips is foolishness. Placing your confidence in conservation is... When infinite supply is at your fingertips is foolishness. Now, for people who are not saved, for people who don't know God, they have no comprehension of infinite supply. We as believers, when we became born again, were introduced to infinite supply, but we are not necessarily convinced of infinite supply. (laughs) So this is the journey we're on where we've been introduced to supply, but we're not convinced of it. And so, uh, so God, I pray, convince us of infinite supply and shift our confidence away from converse, conservation. Conservation, you know? Well, what, what are you talking about? Well, sometimes we, we're conserving our strength. We're conserving our mercy. We're conserving our forgiveness. We're conserving. Like all these things are commodities that God has an infinite supply. Love, the ability to love people. You know how you, you kind of 
people in your life that are vexing you, they're taxing you, they're thinking, just one more time, I'm gonna give them one more chance. Well, God was hinting through Jesus when he was hinting to Peter, listen, I don't want you to give them one more chance. I don't want you to give them seven more chances. There is an infinite supply of mercy. There's an infinite supply of mercy. Stop this. I'll give you one more chance because that only tells us that you're living out of temporary uh, supply, carnal supply, natural supply, finite supply. There is infinite supply of everything we need. And what we've been given access to as Christians is that, but we don't know how to tap into it because our default setting is this present age, this present world. And what we know because of the laws of thermodynamics is that the amount of supply that's there, the amount of energy is finite. It's set. It's, 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 uh, it's, there's no more energy being added to the cosmos And so we are going from useful energy to less energy. So the mindset of all the elites of the world and the entire, all they see is, well, we're going to run out. We're going to run out. And that, that is the containment of a spirit of death, a spirit of death that came on creation when man entered sin. And God is saying, I want to set you free from the spirit of death that orients you around finite supply. And I want you to know that I give you the power to create wealth, that, that this is what the kingdom is about. There is supply. This is what Jesus did. I wasn't even going to talk about this, but, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 with a couple of loaves and a, a little bit of fish, and there was more left over than they began with, he was trying to tell them, listen, there's infinite supply. There's abundance. There's more beyond this. And if you could stop fearing and trying to hoard what it is you have, always holding on to what you have so that, you know, we're going to run out. We're fearing that there's not going to be any more after this. God is saying, listen, as the world gets worse and worse and we see things out there, we are meant to be an exemplary uh, picture of people who have no fear because God, if necessary, will drop manna out of the sky. Can you say amen? And so he's trying desperately to introduce us to the world from which he comes. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that you, this, and I pray even right now, that this confidence in conservation, which means if I just use less, I've got this much, if I just use less, you know, if I stop doing this, that that's somehow the answer. The whole conservation movement is based on an intellectual model that is rooted in death. And, And whereas God is saying, listen, yeah, you need to be stewards of the land, but there's a steward uh, stewarding the land through a spirit of death and fear, and there's a stewarding the land through creativity, the creation of wealth, and uh, technologies that can change the earth. And what we have in, in, uh, in down through history is, is knowledge, the knowledge of God that comes into the world through faith that gives us ideas on how to change our present system. You know, somebody just came up here recently. Uh, I saw this meme, and I, I didn't research the story, so if it's incorrect, I'm, I apologize. But, but, but it was this woman. She's a young scientist, and she figured out uh, some kind of enzyme or some kind of amoeba or something that actually 
consumes plastics. It, it actually consumes things that up to this point were just, you know, remaining, filling up land, landfills. And she actually created something that could turn that whole thing around. And so you've got these voices say, no, stop using straws. But you have others who are leaning into knowledge that says there's a solution that God gave us straws. God gave us oil. God gave us iron. God gave us ore. He gave us all these things to use, but he also has the technology to use them properly and safely for the earth. And that mindset of death that mindset that says, no, everything's going to hell in a handbasket has to be turned around. The sky is falling. Demise is an inevitable. We're coming. There's too many people. Let's kill some. Let's call the population of the earth. That is a spirit of death. And it always leads us to the same thing. Hatred of mankind and the desire to destroy and cut the numbers of people in the earth where God says, no, you don't understand. I have infinite supply. I have infinite supply. And not only can I care for 5 billion people, I can care for 8 billion. I can care for 10 billion. I can care for 15 billion. I can care for 100 billion people because I, I am the God that is infinite in nature, infinite in supply, infinite in intelligence, infinite in creativity, infinite in the knowledge that will set nations free. Infinite supply is available. It's at our fingertips. And God is trying to say, stop putting your confidence in your restraint. So what we're dealing with as believers is obviously that. (laughs) But I wasn't planning on preaching on that. But uh, it's, I tell you what, God is trying to turn. And I, I, I I just can't even get away from this right now. He says, he says, I am the God. He says to Israel, he said, listen, I I don't just give you wealth. I don't just supply, but I create wealth. I create out of nothing. I create wealth out of nothing. And uh, I don't understand the world economies that well. I'm not an economist, but I know that the answer is not in fear. The answer is not in everybody shutting down. You know, political systems that put their confidence and, and say, listen, and this is what communism is. Communism is based in fear and death. And it basically tries to convince us that because there's a finite supply, that then and automatically you having more means I have to have less. See, this is the elementary thing that's wrong with communism is it's built on this, this uh, mindset, this philosophy of death. This philosophy that we are living in a bubble and there's nothing outside this bubble. And so only people of faith are the ones that say, no, no, there is a bubble. But outside of this bubble, there is a God who wants to increase the size of this bubble and can in inconceivable ways right now. So he's trying to say, listen, I've got solutions for your financial woes. And it may or may not be Bitcoin. (laughs) Thank you, God. You know, they say, and I'm not sure what the numbers is, but when they talk about the the electronic uh, internet age and the businesses that have come up out of nothing, Google, Amazon, and these ones, these, these, these things have created tremendous wealth in our world economy. 
And they did so by technologies and knowledge that was, did not exist 20 years ago. I, not only ideas, but the, the technology that made suddenly all of a sudden, how many people here work in the tech industry? I mean, the, the, the computer tech industry was non-existent when I was a child. Uh, right? It was non-existent. Now, uh, high-paying wages and jobs are by the millions around the world out of a technology that doesn't, doesn't, didn't exist 50 years ago. Isn't that amazing? That is an example of the God who creates something out of nothing. And he's saying, you know, don't lock yourself into this idea that what worked yesterday is the only thing that can work today because I've got things up my sleeve for tomorrow. And, and so, God, give us that faith to believe that you are the God who gives us power to create wealth creating wealth, creating wealth, not just discovering the wealth that's there, but we should do that, you know, because that's one thing that communism also does. It, it shuts down our ability to actually use the wealth that's right before us. And uh, uh, I, I guess I will talk about this for a second. I was trying to relate to somebody, you know, because it's all this talk about, well, you know, capitalism is no good. Uh, capitalism has, it hasn't helped us. Capitalism is basically freedom for you to pursue happiness, pursue your own destiny, pursue your own creative abilities. I've been in communist countries. I was in Cuba, and they begin to tell me about how it works. Do you know that the only thing sustaining that nation right now is the black market? Is the illegal market because, uh, and the government can't shut it down because they know it's the only thing that's keeping the population alive. Because they know their system doesn't work, but they don't want to give up power. But uh, it's, it becomes so ridiculous. They, they bring in so many re- weird rules for different reasons. But a guy who had one cow, eventually he killed that cow and he, and he ate it and he fed it to his family and got 20 years in prison because you're not, you can't own anything. That, that cow, though it's in your possession, it's not really yours. You're not allowed to do with it what you want. That's communism. That's the, everything is for the collective good, which means nobody gets any collective good out of it. It basically puts all decisions in the hand of a hierarchy that's tiny. Just the tiny little cross-section of the political community gets to make decisions. And everybody down the line is immobilized with fear and is unable to make a decision for the good of anybody because if they do the wrong thing, they lose their job and they lose everything they have. That's the tyranny of a communistic system. Why? Because at its root is godlessness. At its root is an absence of faith. At its root is the need to conserve. To hold on to what we have because there might not be any more. You know, I I was liking this to somebody, uh, you know, this system. I said, imagine, imagine all the processes in your body. Do you know how many processes in your body? I don't know either. But lots, right? Chemicals are being created. Like, you know, did you get up this morning and say to your body, well, I sure, sure hope we have enough adrenaline for the day. <laughs> you know, I, I'm needing some more testosterone today. So I, I said to myself, 
Self, create extra testosterone for today because you need some strength. You're going to have to do some push-ups later. And we want to make sure we're not lacking in testosterone. Well, what is that? What am I saying? I'm saying that there are systems in your body by the thousands, by the tens of thousands that automatically produce on their own. Imagine if you took all of those systems and you gave the authority for them to either happen or not happen to a committee. That's communism. You've got tens of thousands of exchanges in a free financial system that are happening all the time. A guy wants to buy an apple, he does. A guy wants to go to work, he does. A guy wants to grow tomatoes, he does. And he sells them for a few cents here. All of those things are your decision. And you have the freedom to do that or not do that. And the reward for that comes to you. Communism says, no, let's put all these enterprises under the auspices of a committee. Do you know what happens? Millions and millions of exchanges cease from happening and everything grinds to a slow halt. And so production and everything diminishes and next thing you know, poverty, insufficiency, decay sets in. That's what socialism leads to. That's what communism is. Why? Because it's rooted in a philosophy that negates the possibility of God. Father, give us, give us more faith. The reason why the West is so prosperous is not because we victimized other civilizations. The reason why the West is prosperous is because they've reached into the eternal supply of God. That's what faith does. It reaches with confidence into a God who we believe loves us, who we believe cares for us, who we believe has all sufficiency to change our life. And through that, we're not looking to the government. We're not even looking to our paychecks. We're not even looking to the present systems. We're looking up beyond all these things to a God who can breathe life into all of those systems and create new ones. And because we believe like that, God begins to release a commanded blessing because all wealth comes from an eternal standpoint. That's why we give. Give and it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. Why? Because when you give, you go against the grain of the spirit of death. That's why we're supposed to give. That's why we're called to be generous because we go against that restraint that says, well, you know, I've got this many years, I've got this kind of pension and I got this, you know, and so I, I got to make sure I conserve so that I have enough at the end of the day. And God is saying, listen, I want to free you from the idea that your labor is the only way that you obtain wealth. Your labor is not uh, uh, giving you the accumulation of your wealth. It's coming from God who blesses. God, release us from the tyranny of dependency on the strength of our labor. Hallelujah. Can you feel that faith in there? See, when God tells you, I want you to give $1,000, well, Lord, then I'll have only 4000 left. He says, no, you don't understand. You're tapping into an eternal supply. I want you to tap. And what happens is your confidence that that 5,000 needs to be, it needs to be there for you to feel safe is a symptom of a spirit of death 
a spirit of lack at work inside of you. It shows you that you're looking not at the invisible, but at the visible. And this is the essence of faith, is that we're not looking at this temporal world, this natural world, but we're looking at the other one. Father, give us ability to do that. It's liberating. You know, I, I don't, Wendy and I, we don't have a ton of money. But I tell you what, we've got more than we've ever had, and we don't deserve it. That means I didn't work hard enough, and I didn't do enough things and enough clever things to get what we have. What, we, what happened is our ability to trust God increased, and all of a sudden these avenues of supply began to open up out of nowhere because we trusted God and walked in what we were told to walk in. I, I often thought about that. I thought, you know, how is it that, that, that this works? You know, as, as people who have nothing by the end of their lives can have a lot. Why, why is that? Is it because the, the accumulation? Well, they just keep saving. They keep not spending money. Well, that's one day. Well, you can be a miser and you can get something, but you're still, you're, it's still a finite supply. And you're living in fear and dread and you're not really living. You're not really living. I know people who have tons of money but still live as if they don't have any. Not because they're free to do that, but because they're compelled to do that. Slavery. Anyway. Thank you, Lord. God set us free from that spirit of lack. So let me read it again one more time. Placing our hope in conservation when finite supply, infinite supply is at our fingertips, is utter foolishness. I, I use the word utter because every time I use that word, I hear Jim Donato's voice. <laughs> utter, it's utter foolishness. That's the way he says it. I, I like that. You know, some people, you just like in your life because they say things and you find yourself saying them the same way and you're remembering them saying it. Utter foolishness. <laughs> yeah. So, Lord, deliver us from that. Let's, let's just close our eyes for a second. God, just say this. God, deliver me from fear. Give her, deliver me from lack. Deliver me from finite supply, I pray in Jesus' name. I've got a friend that I talked to just this week. A friend is a realtor. I won't say their name. This friend told me a story about how They've been instructed to go door-to-door, banging our doors. Hi there, are you interested in selling your house? They've done this a bunch of places. From that activity has come exactly zero sales. But the interesting thing that this person has noticed is that by doing that, favor opens up way over here, and cold calls come in going, yeah, I need you to sell my house. Could you just, here, take money and make it happen? So this friend is obeying this thing that is zero fruitful in the immediate present right here. There is nothing to say this is working. And yet somehow in the spirit, it's connected to this favor over here. And so this person is leaning into the faith of that going, I don't know why it works, but it works. So get free of this, I labor for my dollar. It's never been about laboring for anything in the kingdom. It's not about toil. It's about faith. Amen. So that will segue perfectly into my message. 
But so I want to read the passage from Romans chapter 1 because this is what I want to share with you that the knowledge of God is everything. That what delivers us from this present age is discovering that there is an infinite God and a world around him that operates by an entirely different set of principles, truths, and values. And so what we are being introduced to when we become born again is that system. And not just the academics of that system, but we are literally connected to that system, that other age, that other realm, that eternal habitation. And that's why we get born again. That's why we get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's why rivers of living water are meant to flow through your being. Because the first evidence that you are connected to an eternal realm is an unusual kind of power that flows through your spirit. And this is how God has constructed us. But what he wants us to do is to stop living out of our appreciation for the finite and begin to grow increasingly in our appreciation, appreciation for the infinite. Can, uh, can you say amen? amen? So I want to read this in here because in Romans, Romans is oh, so good. Hey, it's, it's such a great book. I remember when I was a young Christian, it was so confusing. I didn't understand it. That's because I didn't understand anything. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. But Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to start reading there. I'm going to read a fair amount of the rest of the chapter, but, uh, and I might not stop. It's just so good. But this is what it says. For the just shall live by faith, it says in 17. And then by 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So let me just pause there. Let me set your heart at ease. God is not wanting to pour out wrath on you. God is not wanting to pour out anger on you. He wants to he is going to pour out wrath on men who suppress righteousness. What does that mean? Is that mean there's a class of people in the earth that are victims. There's a the majority of people that are in the earth are un, unwilling uh, pawns of a scheme of a of an intelligence much higher and much greater than them. But Above them, in league with demonic principalities and powers, there are men and women across the globe that Satan has literally revealed himself to and are actively a part of a program to lie, deceive, and enslave the earth. These people do this believing themselves to be the champions of what is good. But they actively know what it is they're doing. But they believe what they're saying and doing is for the good of humanity because they bought into the system. And the system says there's too many people on the earth. And the systems that give the people freedom are themselves wrong because the people are cattle. They are sheep and they need us to make decisions for them. That is the essence of the global elitist agenda around the world. And it comes from Lucifer himself who hates, who hates with a passion the very thought of mankind. 
And so it seems contrary even that men would cooperate with this system because it's born of a deep loathing and contempt for you, human beings made in the image of God. And Satan's desire is to warp that image, to destroy that image, to bring such decay upon you that you will never again resemble in any way, shape, or form the one who made you. That is the plan. And so there are men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness across the earth. And our battle is not against the tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people who've been victimized against their will by that spirit and by those who conspire. But our weapons and our war is against those who know and those who openly cooperate with principalities and powers. And that's why the Bible says we do not wrestle with people, with men and women, flesh and blood, but we wrestle against those powers that seek to enslave the world. So that's what this is really about. It's a great scripture to start from, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. And, but this is what he goes on to say. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Oh, man. And what he's saying is God has left certain evidences that men must actively work against in order to be unbelievers. In order to, to suppress the truth uh, in unrighteousness, you have to have this ability to acknowledge and recognize the truth. And this is what God has given. God has given every single man, woman, and child that's come into the earth a capacity to know the truth. We, if we don't know the truth, it's because we have made a conscious decision on one level to choose another path. And that's, that's why we are all culpable on some level. And that's why we all individually need to repent and need to turn our hearts toward the God of glory. So he goes on and he says this about this evidence that's in creation. He says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen clearly seen i remember as a child i experienced the wonder i didn't have any theology i didn't have a christian family we went to church but we knew nothing but i remember sitting in my grade two class dreading the lessons and floating off i love uh, that one canadian comedian dennis something because when he talks he uh anyway he talks about this. He said, he said, I sat in my class and I thought, I wish I was a bird. I look out the window and I just glance out the window and I was gone. That math lesson, that, that you know, I, I, you can't make it back to it after you look out the window because you see a bird. You think, I wish I was a bird flying free, getting away from your stupid lesson. <laughs> that was me. I mean, I, I, I just, man, I, I couldn't wait to, to get out. I was, I felt stuck. But I would think about things. And I remember I had these Apollo cards. This is right after the Apollo landed on the moon and I had these cards, you know, like baseball cards, but I had Apollo cards. And one was a picture of the globe. You know, it was just hanging up out there. And this question would kept going around in my heart all the time. And I thought, I look at this and I thought, I thought, here we are. We're on that. We're on that. And, and, I, for what reason? I'm, at, I'm in grade two. 
I'm thinking, for what reason are we on this thing? And I'm thinking, surely not to be in this classroom. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering, like, what? I, I was feeling the pull of divine purpose as a, as a six-year-old. Divine purpose, divine destiny. I was feeling it. Why? Because what may be made, what what may be known of God is is evident. It is evident, and children have an uncanny way of tapping into that. And so, this is what he's saying. He says, "Being understood." I'll start reading from the for the since the creation of the world. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made of corruptible man and bird and four-footed animals and creeping things. He's saying, listen, every religion that worships the creation, that worships images of creation, that worships wooden carvings, that worships anything made by the hands of men is the result of a corruption, is the result of a denial of an infinite God who made all things. He says, when you begin to choose to deny the truth that is evident before you, your thinking begins to become corrupt and you begin to focus on things that are lower and lower and closer and closer to the earth, the last of which is your very self. And so it says in verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather, uh, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving their natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error that was due. And this is the summary of it, verse 28 and 29. Listen to this. Actually, maybe I'll just stop with with, uh, 28. And even... As they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Here's the exchange that's being made all the time. And this is what God is trying to deliver us from. If you're out there and you're listening, God is trying to restore you. There is an enemy of your soul that is destined on changing your purpose, on changing your DNA if he could, on changing your use, on changing your purpose, on changing your gender, on changing your sex, on changing everything about you, beginning with what you believe about God. This is where it begins. And so it says this, it says, listen, God God, uh, has given us a knowledge of him and we can be on a, one of two paths, either increasing in that knowledge of him 
or decreasing in the knowledge of him. That's the only choices that are being made right now. So everything that I'm about in your life and the why, the reason I get up here and I exhort you and I challenge you is because I want you to be on the path of increase. And that increase will be evident because you will increase in the knowledge of God, the kingdom of God, the spirit of God, the dynamics around worship and intercession and your inner man will become easier and clearer and more simple. And godliness will begin to grow in your life. That's the path you're on. So anybody who's not increasing in those things needs to go that direction. Because the alternative is decay. That's always what it is. The alternative to increasing in the knowledge of God is decreasing in the knowledge of God. And the outcome is a corruption of the very essence of what God determined for you when he made you. When God imagined you before creation, when he imagined your skills, when he imagined your abilities, what you would look like, whether you would be male or female, when you, what you would do as a married person, what you would do as an extension of the body of Christ. When God imagined all of these things, he made it possible through your connection with him. Let me just say this again. Why do we worship? To enhance your connection with him. Because he, he said, these guys gave up their knowledge of God. And the, the automatic outcome is decay. Every time you lie to yourself, decay takes a step forward. Every time. Every time. And so my admonishment, and this is what I discovered. I discovered that thing that I knew all along, which said that you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I got to say, you know, I've been around a long time. feels like long. And... Uh, <laughs> I've been married almost as long. You know, I've been married much longer than I've been not married. And, you know, sometimes my wife and I, we have differences of opinion. And I, you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm right often, but not always. My wife has this great saying. She says, you know, you're always confident, but you're not always right. But, you know, what happens in a marriage is there are these points of tension where your mate is trying to communicate something about you and of course you don't believe it you know it might be something as simple as I do not snore <laughs> I do not eat too much I am not selfish I am not you know, whatever 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 but you know what uh, I have found increasing freedom in my life because the things that I was most inoculated against that God has been trying to communicate to me for 40 years through my wife has been bringing some of the greatest relief to my existence. And so the knowledge of God doesn't just come through what happens in worship, though it comes through happenings, what happens in worship. It comes through circumstances with people, beginning with the people that are most dear to you. That's why, you know, people say this, well, I, I don't like going to church because Christians are the worst. They're not the worst, but they're the ones that you let in the closest. And so the ones that are most likely to illuminate your darkness. And what you really dislike is the illumination of your darkness. 
That's why people can't stay married because they don't like the illumination of their darkness. Right? That, that's, that's the essence of it. You annoy me so much because every time around, I can, how is it I can spend all this time with these people? They celebrate me, they love me, and you come over here and you, you dishonor me by telling me how lacking I am. Yeah, because of love. So the knowledge of the truth will set us free. This template here in Revelations chapter 1, and I, I, I'll only reference one other passage of Scripture because I was meaning to spend the whole morning talking about this, but this is the journey we're on. This is the journey we're on. Paul prayed. He said, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding will, will be opened. Well, Paul, I got lots of things wrong with my life. I need a job, I need money, you know, I got this bum foot, you know, all these things. Why don't you pray for me some of them? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. If your eyes could be opened to see who God is, everything else will fall into place. This is the preeminent need of our lives. This is the most dramatic point of conversion that you will have when you see more of him. And so when I'm here on a Sunday and I'm saying, God, lean in, guys, lean in, guys, lean in, it's because there are limits to your ability to approach God, and your limits to ability to approach God determine the limits of the knowledge of God that you walk in. And if you could just go a little bit beyond, uh, there is a skill set, there are explicit things that keep you from advancing. And if you could allow God to put his finger on those things, and if you could come a little closer, this is what he says in James, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. What, to what end? So that you could see the truth, so that you could see who I am, so that you could see my infinite supply, so that you could see what is available to you. I mean, think about it. If we could only see this, we wouldn't spend another second in lack and poverty of any kind. Poverty of soul, poverty of mind, poverty of spirit, natural poverty. All these things are enhanced by the lack of the knowledge of God. So this thing that we do when we gather on Sunday, it's not, just, well, you know, we're trying to get out of the building. Yeah, your effectiveness out of the building is based on your effectiveness inside the building. If you can't do this inside the building, if you can't draw near to God, if, you don't, if it doesn't make sense to you and you're confused and you, you can't participate in worship, then your effectiveness as a believer out there will be limited by your effectiveness as a believer in here. So is what's happening out there important? Yes, but it, it's a proof. It's a manifestation of what you're not able to do in here. Everything comes back to your ability to connect with God's spirit. Everything comes back to this. So this is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes, and I'll close with this. He says that we are being changed. You are being changed as we behold him. Father, I pray right now, God, that you would give us the liberty of the sons of God. This is what that whole passage says. It says, now the Lord is the spirit And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, think of the implications of this. God doesn't want you to be a better version of yourself. God doesn't want you to be a healed version of yourself. He said, when you look into my glory, you are changed into my image. Into my image. What is possible if you were 100% changed into God's image? I mean, Jesus is an example, obviously. But so what is the thing? What is the problem? Can you look into the mirror? Can you seek God? Can you lean into his presence? Do you have the desire? Do you have the skill set? What are the things? What are the things that keep you from pressing into his presence? He said, listen, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. If you, if you, if you look into the truth, you will be set free. Yet we find ourselves strangely and oddly limited, but we're sure it's somebody else's fault. We're sure it's the woman you gave me. We're sure it's our lack of money. We're sure it's, if only I had a nicer car. If only I was taller. If only I had more hair. If only I was skinny, better looking, talented, musical. None of these things impede your success, your journey, your transformation. One thing is necessary to increase in the knowledge of God. And so what the blood of Jesus gives you is free access to be able to encounter him. My job is to challenge you to encounter him. It's to help you develop the techniques and the disciplines and the desire to encounter him on a higher level. The community out there, it will change as you change. It will change as we change. As we resemble the Lord, as we are changed into his image, they don't, won't have to go to church to be changed. They'll see you, and you will have been changed into the image of God, and so they'll be changed by seeing you. That's how it actually works. So when the world is not changed, it means you need to look more like Jesus. If the world is impervious against your Christian witness... If the world is somehow able to deny the amazing rationale of your faith and the explicit levels of glory and anointing that you are walking in when you come to work, you need more. Because when you come into a higher threshold, your automatic influence on the world around you will be palpable, tangible, unavoidable. That's where we're going. So that's why we say, God, change me. It's not selfishness. It's that's the only way they're ever going to see. So, Father, we thank you. Let's stand up together. Father, we thank you today for the promise of transformation. God, we thank you today, God, that you have given us everything necessary for life and godliness. 
God, thank you that you are delivering us from the philosophy of lack, from the spirit of death, and into, God, the wide open space of prosperity, blessing, overcoming power, resurrection, and glory. These are our destiny. So, Lord, could you make examples of us, Father? We want to be an example of what you can do with the people. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure everybody's done this, but there's often times when uh, I would come home from Edmonton and I would just start, you know, thinking and my head would be drifting. And then all of a sudden I'd find out that I have driven past, not Spruce Grove, but I have driven past Stony Plain, right? And it made me think, this is often what happens in our faith sometimes, is we don't realize we're drifting in a direction. And all of a sudden we've gone so far past where we're meant to be and God is actually trying to illuminate where we're at today. Because, again, this is what needs to happen, is we need to align with him to make sure we're going in the right direction, going to the right place. We don't want to drift. And I feel like that is part of it. There is a drifting that has taken place in the body of Christ. You know, drifting to the things of the world. You know, drifting to retirement. Drifting to this. Drifting to that. And God is saying, it's about my way. It's about eternity. Stay with me, focus on me, do not drift. And so, Father, I pray that you would align every single one of us in this house today. Align us with you that we may not drift into the things of the world, but we will stay focused on you, your kingdom, and what matters to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.